I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everybody, and welcome into today's episode of the Top Cut Yu-Gi-Oh! Podcast. My name is Sonny. I am your host. I am here with my co-host, Caleb. Yo! And, of course, before we get too far in, we're going to go through all of our usual stuff really quickly. So, a huge thank you to all of our patrons. So, thank you to Austin Johnson, Salux, Kane Martin, Damian Zink, Marshawn Jones, Master of Isa, Mr. Herbie's Witchcrafter Main 2022, Zephyrus, AD, Aaron Gardner, Anthony Lila, Appaloosa is a Floodgate, more on that later. Dank Nugs, Dank Nugs again, now with Dino DNA, Mountain Man, Mythoshianus, Owen Alvarado, Pig, Rudolph, Seth Oom, Sneaky Links, Chris Myers, MBT's Hard Leg, Ray Powell, Slaking It Up, Sunny Sweet, and Zyphorus. Um, be sure to check out our Patreon, Discord, and Twitter. All the links are in the description down below. Also, if you are interested in getting our playmat, it is now available on ImperiumDuelist.com. And that's all I'm going to do for today. We're going to move along really quick. Of course, I'm sure you saw it in the episode title. We have the one, the only pack, pack, pack a watt here with us today. How are you doing, my dude? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I know uh, you guys reached out to me prior, and I'm glad we're able to finally make it happen. Yeah, dude. It's it's funny that we, you know, it's so difficult to schedule things because I know you're incredibly busy, and so are we. I mean, working full time plus trying to do content creations, it is a pain oh bro I, I, everyone always jokes like how do you do it and I, and I still can't answer that question to be honest it's tough <laughs> as it turns out sleep is optional it is my secret <laughs> my secret is lots of caffeine yeah caffeine maybe maybe something else here and there you know whatever you can do to get through yeah. the day listen yep. listen i don't care how ca- how i get the caffeine tea sodas energy drinks don't care as long as i get it i just drink red bull so Red Bull's nice. Um, yeah, yeah. Red Bull goaded. 
So, um, so we have a lot of questions here for you and things like that. We also, a lot, I'll be honest with you. I know you listened to the Hani episode. We asked, we actually want to ask you a lot of the same questions we asked Hani oh, because sure. Sure. I think that there's a lot to be said for, you know, differing opinions between two high level players, especially to like you that talk as much as you do. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think that something that is often overlooked is when you go into an event. Um, oh, and before I get too far in, before I forget, uh, just since we're live on your channel, I will say we're going to take a few minutes at the very end. And I would love to have your chat participate Ooh. and ask some questions at sure. the end. Yeah, sure. That'll be awesome. Let's do it. Yeah, chat. they can be for ready. me, Caleb, Pack, whatever. But yeah, around the end, we're going to open the forum and <laughs> ask chat to not go nuts. So, um, but going into an event, um, I'm kind of interested to get your perspective on deck choice, whether it be for a format or for an event, kind of get pick your brain a little bit about how you go about actually choosing a deck, because that's something that a lot of people they go into the game and they they just sit down and they say I, I, want, I feel like playing this today without actually taking a deeper thought into it and saying why am i playing this am i playing this because it's a good meta call am i playing this because of what i expect to see at this exact event you know um so i feel like there's a lot to be said for that you know yeah so i that's a, that's a great question so my first event ever that I went to that was like of relative size and I guess caliber of players was the PPG, the Pro Play Tour in Orlando. That was the their big national tournaments and I qualified through a last chance qualifier. And when Simo actually asked me a similar question, he was like, well, how did you decide to play the deck that you played for that event, right? And this is a good way to, a good um, way to start because this will show you, like, I guess the journey of how I, you know, got better at choosing decks. But my my uh, my answer at the time was I basically played the deck that I was the most comfortable with, right? And this seems like really obvious and really you know you know standard, but I would highly recommend that if you're newer to the game and you're going to like an event for the first time, play the deck that you're the most comfortable with, with right? Like Spiral by you know was an obvious choice for that event. That was the format at the time in 2019. And it was a like, quote unquote the best deck. It established like insane boards. It you know it just like did so much um, with so little, and I just didn't feel confident. I had the whole I had like I, when I went to the event, I had the entire deck ready. I had the deck. I, I was ready to play it. And you know what? Like in the back of my mind, I was like, man, I'll be honest, I'm not that confident. Like I don't really know the combos that well. I feel like I'm gonna screw up. And it's one of those decks that's pretty unforgiving. Um, if you if you mess up, you're gonna make a worse board. Um, you need good technical blades to navigate the turn twos. Um, you need to know how to sequence through hand traps. And quite frankly, at the time, I just wasn't confident enough. So I was like, you know what? Let's pick a deck that I've been playing for the last month. Um, and that was Altergeist, right? And so for me, like being able to play the deck that I knew the most, the deck that I felt like I had a really strong understanding of, uh, was super rewarding because I got to... Uh, I got to basically like, do a lot of like the cool plays that people never really think of in Altergeist. Like, like for example, when you activate Faker's Effect, like there wasn't a lot of people at the time that summoned Country off of it, um, and that actually won me uh, the finals. Actually, um, if you watch the re- the replay back, and 
it's like the small stuff like that where I'm just like, man, like I'm so glad I played a deck that I was comfortable with because um, it's a lot easier to see success with it. So, so that's my first piece of advice. And then after I feel like you get more comfortable as a duelist um, and you feel like you have improved your technical play to a point where you can play any deck, um, I would say the next step is to figure out the deck that is the best meta call for an event um and that's a very hard question to answer right because you know you don't know exactly when you sh like what people are going to play when you show up to an event you don't know what the meta is going to be like but for me the way i figured it out is i study uh like you know i watch like and people won't believe me when i say this but i watch all the local deck profiles like the ones that people like kind of like uh, do well like the case the case tournaments on the weekends like stuff like that like i yeah, watch yeah. a lot of those um and uh, because you know even if like they're not like known players i still watch them because they always give like even the people who like aren't like quote unquote known like they always have some sort of insight that i find really interesting uh, sometimes and i it also kind of nice to understand like you know what are people's heads at like why what are people playing um and you get a general idea of like the meta that way um so uh, and, and afterwards you can build your deck to adapt I would say you also like because I feel like uh, I play a lot of competitive Yu-Gi-Oh I have a general idea of like where most players are at in terms of like their deck choice um, even from a time perspective right the majority of players that are playing the game don't have a lot of time to dedicate to um, you know these like like these decks so a lot of people will most people will usually play the easier deck or like the deck that I feel like is uh, straightforward. Like that's why you typically right, right. Like, see a lot of Alistair decks sometimes when you go to like big tournaments because it's, you know, relatively easy to pick up um, and, you know, it's not like to no surprise. And then you have like the obvious like tier one decks, right? Uh, that people yeah. will show up with. So, uh, and that's how like, I guess like the last YCS, I decided to play like DDDs where when no one was looking at the deck at the time, um, I played it because I knew that it had an advantage just because people didn't bother to take the time to learn the deck. So I, I had an advantage where like my, like the bluffs that I could do with the deck and the way I play the deck is a lot scarier because people are afraid. Like, you know, if I normal summon Kepler, a lot of people would kind of like be uneasy because it says search a card, right? Um, yeah, yeah. and a lot of people typically would ask the first card that you summon. So you can take a lot of like the assumptions and like the the notions that you know Yu-Gi-Oh players have and abuse it um and then it's a deck that can play a lot of hand traps because i know that a lot of people are playing a lot of these like crazy wombo decks just quite frankly because it's way more fun right so i i, I can acknowledge that a lot of players just want to play like the wombo deck like the 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 brave cards the snow cards because those are like the really really fun cards about the deck and quite frankly the brave decks are really easy to like play if that makes sense because you activate rights you normal red rose and it, it doesn't really take much quote-unquote like skill to develop your board if that makes sense so i knew that a lot of people would be on like some sort of brave engine or some sort of deck that requires like a lot of bricks um for that reason so that's why i decided yeah, yeah. to play like a 12 hand trap um 12 hand trap deck because i knew that if i would draw two against that deck they most likely lose the game because they don't have a real backbone supporting the engine like it's it's a whole it's a it's a pile right like it's a bunch of right, random right. cards put together so when you disrupt them they don't have anything to follow up on um you know like it's just like half the time they go and activate rights 
and just attack next turn. Like, it's actually crazy. Like, their only follow-up card, their only grind card is DP. Uh, but usually when right. you draw two disruption, they don't even get to DP. And so, like, um, even if they hand trap you a bunch of times, like, decks like DDD and Sword Soul can outgrind um, after hand trapping multiple times because we have, I have, like, Dark Contracts and, and like, the, the Sword Soul deck has, like, 10 U cards. Right, so, right. So that, so that was a long, long answer. Um, but basically, it's like, first, play a deck that you're comfortable with if you're newer to the game. And after you get more comfortable, um, I would say try to study what people are playing and then build a deck to beat that. Uh, because, you know, there are times where you can play uh, really good decks that everyone else are playing and do well with them. But I feel like when I'm trying to not only top the event, but win the event, I want to have some sort of competitive edge. Um, and right, whether right. that's playing a the fiber sorcerer deck that i think like it was only my team that was on it at the time or playing like ddds or playing even lcs's like I, I remember the first event that dytron was legal it was only me and jesse that played the the dytron deck um at that event same thing with virtual world like it was me and like um everyone else i think from uh waft or waft that was uh play testing the virtual deck but no one else play play it so i was able yeah, to beat i remember uh, yeah i remember when you played that virtual world deck after the event, you were like, yeah, nobody knew what any of these cards did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was so crazy because, like, I think the thing that I try to do is if you watch, like, my streams, I was actually testing Virtual World on stream the week before the LCS. Same thing uh, Same thing with DDDs. I test that deck on stream for two weeks straight, uh, like, two weekends back-to-back. -back. So I think what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to show the progression of how, like, I pick these deck up and I take it to, like, actual events. Like, I'm not just, like doing it just like you know for content it's more like this is like literally like the regimen or this is like my routine of how i would prep right. for like an actual event right so I, I don't know if anyone have like paid attention to that but that's if you've watched like like my streams or people who've been watching my streams they would see that like i literally take the decks that i'm literally showing on stream to like these actual events it's not just like just for talk if that makes sense yeah definitely i i've personally noticed that that a lot of times like you were hyping up DDD on stream for, you know, a couple of weeks before the YCS. So when you said that you were going into a feature match, I think round like nine-ish, and you said that, you know, hey, you know, it's going to be leaked because I'm on feature anyway, but I'm playing DDD. I was like, that actually <laughs> kind of makes sense, you know? Yeah. Right. But that kind of leaves leads me into the next question, which is, when you go into these events do you find yourself choosing a deck is do you prioritize power over consistency or consistency over power because i feel like a lot of players might look at a deck and say yeah but look at the power ceiling of this deck okay. or they'll choose a deck and say it's so incredibly consistent but it doesn't quite have that power ceiling right so is there is there a way that you prioritize these things or maybe gauge something when you go into an event like you know, I just kind of need to play for the meta. Cause I know when we were talking with Hani, he said that part of the reason that he chose the Swords of Tenny Fiber deck for this YCS was because he felt like so many people were playing decks that ran, you know, like a gajillion bricks mm -hmm. that to go into this event, running a deck, like you said, with like 12, 14 hand traps, plus the consistency of opening godly every hand, just that consistency was the edge right do you yep. so i was wondering you know which of those you kind of prioritize i agree with hani's logic here because he and i test quite a bit together but yeah I, I i prioritize consistency and this sounds like crazy but i think the mentality that 
uh, players have in the game is that, you know, let's build the best board possible and let's just Womble combo, right? But the thing is, like, some of these boards that people are already making are, like, already winning. Um, it's just almost feel like win more to play the Glass Cannon deck, right? Because, you know, right. the board I make with DDDs is already winning if I if someone else makes... Like, someone can make a better board than what I do with DDDs for sure. But my full combo and their full combo are both winning boards. So, it, with that in my the back of my head, I realize I don't need to do the most to win. Like, a humble board is actually... Uh, enough sometimes you have to just know how to use them correctly right um and that's right. why like there was like, a game that i played this past weekend at the goofy gauntlet where my opponent went dp pass and that was enough to beat me uh with hand traps like dp pass with like one hand traps two hand traps that was enough like i i couldn't i couldn't beat that right and like trying to make like baron scythe dpe like with you know herald all this stuff is yeah sure it's, it's winning but it feels like it's more um overkill if that makes sense like you can make that board right, right. you can make like a an easier board with anything else and you're already winning like there's a game at the this past weekend there i got valored i got ash i got dropleted and i still won the game because i ended on like the, the, the ddd trap card headhunt right but um but these are the types of like uh like these are the types of i guess like the the mentality that i have now as i start playing more is that you know consistent decks i feel like are just overall better in the long run um, just because when you're playing 10, 11, 12 rounds, which Wises typically are, um, you need to be able to win your games by just drawing normal, right? And you feel like you're more in control when you can actually try to play. Uh, when you break, yeah. there's not really much you can do. Like, I'm sure there's, like, some ways where maybe you can, you know, make a miracle happen of, like, the worst hand possible. Like, I've had a lot of the games where that has happened. But I just want my deck to be as consistent as possible for an event like a YCS because... They don't happen all the time. And if I'm getting to play this YCS like once every month or once every two months, then I want to play the deck that gives me the highest chance of not only topping the deck or topping uh, with it, but also winning. Um, and I think like for me, like, yeah, you can top with like a tier one deck that's like Glass Canyon, but I feel like there's more luck involved. And I want to reduce those type of variants as much as I can um, and rely more on like you know, but just better technical play because I feel like relying on variance is just too like it's too risky. Like I, I don't know. Um, so I just couldn't I couldn't do it. That's why I couldn't play the twelve brick decks because like there were hands that I was drawing where it was just like really really bad, and I was just ran yeah. the math on it. Like um, I I forgot what the number was, but it was like really high. Like I think it was like seventy or eighty percent in every almost every hand you're gonna draw one brick going first. And sometimes that's yeah. enough. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, are there any decks in past formats that you can think of where consistency was really evident over a higher power ceiling? Um, Like, past format, I'm trying to think of, like, a, a good example. Um, Even in, like, the last year or two. You know. Deck where consistency was better. Um, For me, the thing that kind of comes to my mind right. is... Um, I felt like the Tri-Brigade Zodiac build was like incredibly consistent yes. and Drytron had yes. probably a higher power ceiling, but yes. you know. I would agree with that. Yes, that, that's a great example. Uh, that, I think that was at the first YCS, remote YCS. Yeah, where everyone was playing Tri-Brigade yeah. with a lot of hand traps and it made like a Apollo Revolt, right? And that was their inboard. 
Um, but like I said, that was enough. You know, like Apollo for two with Revolt is weirdly enough to win. Um, just because like, you know, you can answer any like any attack on the Appaloosa and you have two you have two to three uh, Appaloosa in the gates, which are usually enough. Uh, Dragon Link is a pretty consistent deck. Um, I think like for the most part, usually consistent decks are pretty good. It's like, no, I think like the thing that people underestimate is that consistent decks don't mean that they're, the deck doesn't make a good board. Um, like, I remember when Dry, like Dragon Link would pass on like Heretic Seal Tidying, right? <laughs> and and yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was a winning, that was a winning position board wise, right? Um, because yeah, yeah. It, it prioritized like recovery um, while while like uh, having disrupts and I personally like um, decks that have disrupts that are uh, multi-layered so not like not just front heavy but also like there's something in the back row as well right like for example DDD that's yeah. why I like the deck a lot like Sword Soul I like it a lot because there's Blackout there's Headhunt there's Tiding and in, in like you know in the Dragon Link deck right like it doesn't just yeah. put up a monsters as its form of disruption but it has something in the back as well so it's a lot harder to crack those type of boards um like virtual with chuche for example too like like those are the type of decks that i really like because it's like multi facets like it's and as you know what's crazy like i think those types of decks are what's healthy for the game because they aren't necessarily disrupts that make it so that you can't play the game ever but they're they give you a chance to play and break the board um right so what I mean by this is like Chuche is like you know a pop, and then you have like the virtual board which was like like some like I'm talking about like post VFD, you have like Shenshen Chuche right, um yeah like there are a lot like you get to play still like you can still try to play the game, um and you have to figure you have to like kind of like navigate your, your your way because I think those type of disruptions, uh forces you to actually play instead of floodgates right like the floodgates are like crazy, um so yeah. Funny you should mention floodgates. Okay, so this is... I hate to cut you off here, but this is... We need your help settling a debate. Yeah, sure. Okay, so... I'm sure you heard it when I read off the patron names. And this has been a debate going in our Discord server for almost a year now. Basically since the creation of the server. Okay. And I'll accept your answer... As the end-all answer. Okay. okay. Oh, God. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundreds of people are listening to this. <laughs> okay. So, here's the question. Is Appaloosa a floodgate? Uh, in, a, in a way, yes. Yeah. In a way, yes. I actually okay. think Appaloosa should be banned, believe it or not. I'm actually okay. all of the... I actually support Appaloosa being banned. Because of how easy it is to make. Um, and it's a card that base. If you think about like Nibiru, right? Is the card was literally designed to make it so that it kept combo decks in check. Ironically enough, with the release of Appalooza, a lot of these decks rely on Appalooza like as an extra deck card to beat the Nibiru, if that makes sense. Like there's like I feel yeah, like yeah. I feel like the I feel like Appaloosa is like way too generic to be honest. Like it, it's so it's actually like I think it got worse because of the base engine. But before right. the base engine, before the before be, before like the I'm uh, not the base engine. I'm sorry the um the 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 uh the adventure package. the adventure package. Like it's so like it it is like it was actually like why do you think Appaloosa for three negates with revolt was so broken? 
Like, yeah, it was insane. Like, bro, like I couldn't, like there's like, you couldn't even beat that half the time. Um, yeah, if you're playing Drytron, it's an FTK. Yeah, it's like disgusting how good it was. Um, but I don't bro, know. My counterpoint to that yeah. is, I would say a floodgate is a continuous effect that um that blankets an entire mechanic or yeah. something of the sort right. right so you know i'd say like droll lancio those are floodgates uh io skill drain obviously but Tikaboo, to me yeah goes yeah match. Exactly. So, i don't think yeah i kind of agree with that like i don't think it's a floodgate but i think it's like bannable if that makes sense like i would actually see it i can actually see it being banned just because of like how easily accessible it is to to make um, right, yeah. I, I definitely see what you mean. I thought that we got back into the game in 2020. Yeah. And I read Opelousa and I was like, this card's insane. Why yeah. is this card legal? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no, that that's a debate that we've had for the longest. Is Opelousa floodgate? I'm on, I'm very I'm very firmly so on the I, no I guess side. you can say like it's not a floodgate. I I would say I guess like I feel like I feel like um it's a card that makes it very hard for you to play, but it's not a flood because a flood is like, you know, it's like how do you even explain it like like it's like shifter it's like something that lasts the entire duration i guess yeah, Apple's it kind of does but it's just too easy like Apple's is so crazy actually it's insane you know Apple's is an insane card but yeah, i just no, don't no, think it's a floodgate yeah no arguments here i, I agree with the, it's not a floodgate yeah but i do find but there are certain situ situations where it might as well be yeah, yeah, and it comes in and out of formats, but so do cards like like Droll and Lancia. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. Like they're great cards, but they just end games. Yeah. So okay, well, uh, you know, you mentioned <laughs> Opelousa earlier, and I thought about it, yeah. and uh, I knew that my <laughs> Discord wasn't going to rest unless I asked you. Sure. Yeah. Sure. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's um, just continuing the meme. Yeah. Yeah gotta keep it going so now i kind of want to get into your mindset a little bit so mm. we didn't talk about it at the top but today right before we started recording we had ycs's charlotte north carolina yep. guadalajara mexico and bogota colombia mm -hmm. all were announced yes yes so huge oh, yes. excitement <laughs> actually oh, yes. really close <laughs> oh god yes <laughs> yeah charlotte's only three weeks away mm-hmm that that's insanely close yeah so it kind of makes me wonder now that you have dates and times for these events and you have this timetable i know that you say like you've already started testing right like we popped in the stream and you were already testing stuff yep i have but yeah it kind of makes me wonder how much time do you put into play testing and i, and I know that yours your numbers are probably a little bit skewed because mm -hmm. you play on stream a lot yeah. And that's basically really, I mean, when you're playing DB on stream, you're basically testing, yes. you know? Yes. I, but okay. numbers, so you want yeah. like the like hours kind of? Uh, you can quantify it however you want. Okay. Okay. So I would say I like, okay. So, so for this last YCS lead, like uh, the remote Vegas one, the only time I played Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, was on stream and it was just oh, because man. i was uh, super busy our our bot just completely okay. quit recording it's okay and i Roz, it happened seven minutes ago yeah oh no. yeah so <laughs> um will we be able to rip the audio from your vod yes, and you cut can. it down yes you can 
Wonderful. Okay, we'll just do that. I'll send you then. the. I'll send you the. I'll give you permission to download it, like the the access. Amazing, because yep. the bot is honestly the worst thing ever. I need to get a new computer. But. <laughs> yep, no worries. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I'm sorry. Uh, you can go back into what you're saying about blade testing. Sure. So, uh, for the last YCS Remote Vegas that just happened, I the only time I played Yu-Gi-Oh was actually live on stream. So, and I told my chat this like. The mentality I had when I went to these events, so the first was, so I want to give a huge shout to the, the two tournaments that I was uh, at. So the first, oh, I think I'm echoing in the back. Oh, are you? Yeah, yeah. Or like I hear you playing my stuff in the back. Um, oh, I have your stream muted. Oh, really? Is that me? Okay. Um, I'll just restart. <laughs> That's okay. Power okay. of editing. The power of editing is crazy. But yeah. Okay, so. For the last remote duel YCS that happened, uh, so the, the so the, for the last remote duel uh, Vegas um, event, I like the only time I played on stream was the only time I played Yu-Gi-Oh was actually on stream. So the mentality I had was that like when I went to these weekend tournaments, um, I knew that my weekdays were pretty much booked. Like I was I'm working I work sixty hours a week. Like I have a full time job, um, contrary to popular belief. Um, people, people think I am a full-time streamer, but I, cause I stream like insane hours. Like I actually stream, like yeah. I was streaming the same amount of hours as people who do this for a living. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah. as someone of, who works a hard physical outside job all day, <laughs> the same amount of hours as you, yeah. I don't get. <laughs> yeah. So like a lot of people are probably like, yo, like there's no way packs pack works. Like no way. Like he, he. <laughs> He streams way too much, and that's what I'm trying to get into the. Um, that's what I'm trying to get back into now, like streaming consistently. But for the the last YCS, I was really busy. Like I just got promoted um, at work, and I was working like nonstop. So my weekdays I knew were booked, but I knew that I was due to go to these bigger tournaments that were happening on the weekend. And right. and huge shoutouts to uh, Big Three Deals in Arizona. Uh, they. Bought my ticket and, and flew me out uh, to play in their tournament, Jeez. and and of course Unmatched Gaming in um, in Pennsylvania. Um, that so those Jeez. were the two tournaments that I played in. The first that that was two weeks. So that was two weeks of big tournaments leading up to the third week, which is the YCS. Yeah. Um, the first time I played DDDs was at uh, Big Three Deal, and I got completely bodied. Uh, I didn't really. Yeah. I like was doing pretty well, but. I didn't really know how to play the deck. I was learning it literally as I was playing against these people because, like I said, I didn't really have time to play test. Like I, I was on, like you know, I was waiting for my plane and I was like looking up like uh, combos. I was doing test hands. Like I was trying to figure it out because I didn't really know how to play the deck. But the mentality I had was that I didn't really care how well I did at these weekend tournaments. I knew that there was gonna be a lot of good competition. It was gonna be a slightly bigger tournament. You know, like it was gonna be bigger than a locals tournament but smaller than a YCS yeah. or smaller than a regional. So it was like really good practice. And I was like, you know what? I don't care how well I do. I could have, I could play my, you know, I could play another deck that I was more comfortable with and maybe try to do better at these tournaments. But I was like, you know what? Instead of trying to worry about how well I did at these tournaments um, and play a deck that I was more comfortable with, um, I'm going to play the deck that I'm actually going to play for the YCS that I think I might play for the YCS. And that's what that was DDDs yeah. at the time, so I streamed the entire um, event, and I played DDDs like you know, and and you can see that I was making misplays. I wasn't understanding like some of these interactions, 
you know, and it, it comes, right? And, and that's kind of like what I was trying to show through, like, it was one of the reasons why I stream. Like, I want to show the progression, the journey of what it's like for someone to get better at the game. Um, because I haven't actually started playing Yu-Gi-Oh! that much, like, that that far ago. Like, I started playing in 2019 of July, right? So, this is the, the main reason I, I stream, because I want to show that progression. And so, I played yeah. that I played that first weekend with DDs and I got bodied. And then, the week after that, I gave it another go. I'm like, you know what? Let's see how much better I could do after that experience. So, I did the same thing. I, I, I drove over to Reading, uh, Pennsylvania, and I did the same thing. I tried to learn the deck on, on the way there. I was, you know, making less misplays. I was learning more interactions. Like the first time I played DDs that weekend at Big 3 Deals, I didn't even know how to make Baron. I didn't even know how to make Siegfried in, in the deck. And Chad will attest to that. Yeah. And then the next weekend after that, I was playing through Nib. Like I was playing through two, three hand traps. Like I was like cooking people. Like, like people were making window against crazy. me. I was, I was winning. And I was like, man, like I'm actually learning this deck and I think I'm getting a lot better with it. But at the same time, um, I'm still misplaying. Like, and I actually lost top eight because I didn't know a certain sequence that allowed me to win top eight. And so I ended up losing because of it. But one of the things I do is after these tournaments that I stream for you guys in the chat is I watch my, I watch all my games over. Um, and that for me is like one of the best ways to improve because I watch all the things I did wrong um, and even the things I did, I thought I did right were, and I, you know, even the things I thought I did right because I won were things that I could still also do better because I was like, man, I got so lucky. I topped like this. Um, I played my hand out so wrong because, but the thing is these things you would never know unless you look over your gameplay. So I'm in quite a fortunate position where I'm able to stream my game so I can look over them, but you could do this on like dueling book as well. Right. Um, and like if even, um, or another thing that I do is I usually, like keep track of all my games I play and I, I, I replay them back in my head to see like, hmm, that was a play I did correct? Cause my opponent flipped droplets at this point in time. Was there a way to play around it? Was there a way that like, if I knew or made the correct read that there was droplets, what was the best sequence in that, at that position, at that moment in time to, you know, capture the board state. And yeah. funny enough, there are actually a lot of like crazy plays that you could do. I had, I, I coach on Metify, so one of my students was like coming up to me. He was like, bro, like, I don't think there was a way I could ever win this game. So I look over the game back with him. Right. And I'm like, well, actually, I think you could have, if you went for this sequence, you actually would have OTK'd him. Um, it's just, and I was talking about like the decision trees, like, you know, as you go through like the steps, you're like, okay, what are the options available to me? What are the plays I could do at this X, Y, and Z time? If I do this X, Y, and Z play, what are the next steps after that? And we went through it together and we're like, we actually figured out a way to OTK through like the droplets that, that the guy had. Um, and with sorcerer and and um those are like the those moments of like you know epiphany like insight are like the best because once you figure them out once you never forget it um and and that ultimately so like the two weekends that i that i just talked about led up to the ycs and right. at that ycs i was like super comfortable with the deck like i felt like i was playing that deck like really well um the game I matched my match one was a warm up because I was like you know I I get nerves too like it's like any other person I just I just you guys just don't see it as much but I was like a little bit nervous too because like I said I I'm taking a deck that's arguably very difficult to pilot um, and I know that if I make a mistake it's gonna be super punishing 
So it took me like my match one to finally settle me in to be like, hmm, I, I think I can actually do this. And I felt like I played some of like my best Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, and I was really happy that I got rewarded for playing really well. Um, like my deck didn't break. Like I was, you know, drawing like really good. You know, like I built my deck really well. Like I felt like I made a really good meta call. Um, I played, I think, six or five Brave Frank that day. And I tooled all of them except one. Um, like, and that was the matchup I expected, like, you know, so, and, and even as I made top cut and I played all the, the rest of top cut out, I, when I made the top eight and I lost in top eight, like I wasn't even too disappointed because, you know, I lost to like variants instead of me misplaying. And cause like I said, I watched back my games, right? Like then that was streamed and I knew my exact hand at that moment in time. So when I look back, I'm like, you know what? Like, how can I be mad that I lost, right? Because you're going to need a little bit of luck, too. So, yeah. I was like, yeah, I lost, but I, I wasn't really too upset. You know, I said GG to my opponent. I'm like, congrats on top, like, you know, to, like, moving into the next round. And, and I moved on, right? Because I was like, and, and it's it's so easy. And I guess the point of me saying that is that, you know, it's so easy to get hung over up, like, your losses or whatever. But I think understanding is it losing because you messed up or losing because of variance is you know it's important to distinguish like you know distinguish because you don't want to like beat yourself op up over things you can't control but i feel like you want to beat yourself up over things you could control um and you know you make a mistake is like you know are you playing incorrectly or you sequencing your hand wrong those are things that you can control how your opponent draws like you can't really control unless you're cheating <laughs> um, yeah, yeah so yeah so at that point i'm just like you know it's okay. I honestly, I lost, and it is what it is, right? So I wasn't really too mad. I was, really, I was really happy that I made top eight. Obviously, I would be happier if I won the tournament, but um, I was, I was like content by because I made the right choice, and I was able to show my chat and like my community that uh, with like practice and like you know a lot of hard work, you can also do well at the YCS. Because like I said, I streamed like the two weekends I played this deck with was the two times I actually ever played it um, and you can ask Nesh as well because Nesh was helping me the day before with a deck list because I was like bro Nesh I was on the Nesh I was like yo bro like I haven't I didn't I haven't played since that last since PA um, like I need to like so I just steered with him the deck list but from a technical play perspective the way I improve was just watching my replays I didn't actually need to play more Yu-Gi-Oh I just need to watch over my games and make sure I didn't mess up. Um, and that's and that was pretty much it. So that's my long-winded answer. <laughs> hey, it's it's at least it was very uh what what's the word uh knowledgeable. Knowledgeable, yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I actually I got a little quick little question for you, real mm -hmm. quick, uh, yep. specifically about the DDDs. Sure. And you running them. Sure. Uh, what made you? What was the thing that really made you decide to run them? Was it the giant hammer with a rocket attached to it, or the fact that he's a penguin? <laughs> No, I wanted to play DDDs because I, um, I, I feel I thought it'd be a really good meta call because no one would know how to hand trap it. So, um, my opponent goes neg one quite a bit, and and that's pretty much it. Um, I also think it's actually a good deck. Like, it just you just have to play it well. Um, and yeah. that's basically why. So I was like, you know, so I don't know. It's also Machinex yeah. just looks crazy. Like that that art is insane. So I had to give Got it a it. shot. Hammer with a rocket. Hammer Got with it. a rocket. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're gonna take just a second to do a really, really quick ad read. Sure. Uh, 
<clears throat> so a huge thank you to our sponsor etb games in alexandria louisiana they are our locals and they are your one-stop shop to get everything that you need for Yu-Gi-Oh, magic the gathering pokemon digimon any card game that you play they have binders play mats they have deck boxes singles steel product anything that you could need also everything that you need for all your tabletop games like warhammer like dnd pathfinder yep. they have the books the figurines the paint everything that you could possibly need so Moving back into the stream, I also want to ask you, um, I'm kind of curious about the relationship that you have with being a player versus being a creator. Yeah, that's a good one. It's tough. It's hard. Yeah. I think it's really lost sometimes mm -hmm. that a lot of times when you get into these situations where you go where you start making content you start getting into it mm -hmm. and sure you're always a player but you run into a situation where you kind of have to think about well yes i'm a player but i also have to think about content too right so yeah. kind of a two-part question would you consider yourself a player first or creator first mm -hmm. and the other part is have you ever found yourself in a situation where you kind of take some time to really focus more on creation as a creator rather than just being a player. Yeah, so I think I'm a, I'm a player first. And the reason why I say this is because, like, when I show up to events, you don't see me holding up a camera going like, yo, what's up, YouTube? You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. for me, it's like, it's also just my personality. When I'm at events, I'm one of the, like, I'm one of those people that, I just want to savor the moment. Like I wanted to enjoy my time, absorb in my surroundings. Like I like, and even when I, um, I studied abroad in college. So I, I was in London and I did the same thing, bro. I barely have any pictures from when I was abroad. And I was really bad at taking pictures because when I was traveling and, and, you know, soaking all this experiences in and just hanging out and like, you know, seeing sightseeing, all that good stuff. Right. Like I, I just, I just didn't, I, like my reaction is not to take out my phone it's more of like man let me just enjoy where i am and and i i feel like it's very similar to how i approach content creating with Yu-Gi-Oh, which i honestly feel like ironically enough i need to do more of that you know filming and more of that like recording because i don't do it enough um yeah but yeah when when i'm when i'm at like events and stuff like that right like i kind of just like like it's funny my, my content is literally topping i i probably chose the hardest like it probably shows the worst con like content space to get into because it's like you know like it's competitive Yu-Gi-Oh, right it's like uh it's the one area where like you know it's very results oriented you know so you have to like do well you have to um you have to do well and then you have to also like uh like you know like you have to go out record these games show people what it's like you know um and i think that's why the the irl streams is doing pretty well like at these big tournaments like i feel like i get like double the people uh when i go to like irl tournaments or events because a lot of people either haven't been to events or anything like that but you know I i'm always more focused on, on my game like uh whenever like i'm streaming irl stuff or anything like that at all because at the end of the day like my content is playing really well um and i want to also play well just because i 
like competitive Yu-Gi-Oh. Like I like the, I like that interaction where you have that epiphany of how you crack your opponent's board or how you outplay them or you mind game them into like making the wrong play. Like I, those types of interactions, like those types of moments for me are like euphoric. Like I love it. Like that for me is like crazy um, because a lot of people think like Yu-Gi-Oh is just a uh like a luck based game or something like that and i feel like it's not always the like i feel like luck's involved but you have to put yourself in the position to be lucky if that makes sense and yeah um that's what i like that that's why like i like playing the game so much because like uh, there are some luck involved but there's a lot of times where like you really can turn the tides of a game based on how well you play uh, how well you make reads on your opponent's back row how well you uh make reads on their hand like that for me is like so fascinating it feels almost as if i'm playing like like a trading card poker game or something i don't i can't explain yeah, yeah, yeah. um i mean when sick. you look at it there's uh, there's actually quite a few players that uh they don't just play Yu-Gi-Oh. you know a lot yeah. of them play a lot of higher level players they also play poker pretty competitively you yeah know? i mean I, it makes sense yeah um so that part is like awesome for me and then I think your second question was regarding like um how do you like do you ever balance like choosing to be a creator more than a player and i would say like yeah there, there are times where like i literally can't like you know go into my like team discord and play test with them because i'm like always like you know either streaming or anything like that but i usually try to like uh fit the two and two together so like even today right like i was gonna try and and, and make the despia deck work and show how i go about like learning how to play despias because it's one testing for me but then also two like content for people who may not know a good way or a good avenue of how to get uh good with a deck or how to like pick up a deck for the first time or something like that right um and so i choose to try to mix the two and two together but yeah it is very hard to be both a player and a creator um because at one hand, you're like, dang, like, what are what's some like content I should do? But then on the other hand, you're like, damn, I have a big tournament coming up this weekend. How do I prep for that while also trying to, you know, provide content to to people? Um, so it's not easy, yeah. to be quite honest. And I still have trouble trying to navigate that, to be quite honest, because there'll be times where, like, I wouldn't stream for like two, three days because I'm in my team's Discord all day, um, all day. Like, like literally after, after I finish work, I'm in the team discord. I'm like, yo, let's, uh, let's, let's figure, let's figure stuff out. Like, let's, uh, let's try to make something happen. Let's talk about like some new cars, some new techs, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And I, I couldn't yeah. stream and, and it's really sucks because like, I really enjoy streaming. Like I really enjoy interacting with the community, the chat, um, because like, it's, it's very enjoyable for me. Um, but at the same time, it's like, dang, I have this tournament coming up and I want to perform really well because, you know, like my content is about doing really well at Yu-Gi-Oh. So it's like, it's ironic. It's like, damn, I have to take time from streaming to practice for an event. But by taking time from streaming to practice for an event, which, which, which is what my content revolves around, you know, which is doing well at events, then it's like, it's like, damn, it's like a double-edged sword almost, right? So right, uh, right. navigating and balancing the two is definitely like really tough, but I think I came to a point where I just, I just try to do both to be honest. Um, I think the key is to just get so many feature matches at these remote dual YCSs yeah. that you just end up on stream all the time anyway. Yeah, right? True. 
content True. just creates itself at that point. True. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I want to get a little bit more into the tournament side of things because I feel like something that a lot of people just assume that once you become a player that's on, say, your level or Hani or Rafael Nevin or whoever, right? They just assume that you go into every tournament and that you just are comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. But I know personally when I go to tournaments, even though I go to not as many as you, but I go to quite quite a few, I still get like the the jitters, right? And the nerves before Mm -hmm. at the beginning of round one, you know? I was kind of wondering if you, even at the level, you know, gajillion tops, YCS winner, yada, yada. Do you still get those nerves? Do you still get that kind of that feeling in your stomach right as you're sitting down for round one? Um, I feel like I get that um, well, round one. And I feel like after round one for me is when I pick up. Um, and it might not be believable. I, I feel like I keep a good poker face, so you can't tell when I'm nervous. But... I, I like I do like feel it right like there are yeah. there are hands where like I literally draw unplayable and like I'm just laughing with my opponent right <laughs> just just yeah, uh, like yeah. so I'll be honest I do like and and that's like the that's the truth about it like I, I do get nervous um but I don't let it like take over if that makes sense like I always try to like keep it pretty um tamed um but I feel like I get that all the time. Like, I already know, like, at YCS Charlotte, when I sit down for round, you know, round one, I'm going to have butterflies in my stomach. Um, and Oh, yeah. And it's like, and, and you know what's even crazier? When you're on feature match. Or when you're in, and then that's even crazier. And then when you have to play a friend, that's even crazier. Um, yeah. It's not, it's, and that's, a, that's like the, that's why, like, I feel like streaming helps because, um, I get less nervous being in front of people and stuff like that. And I feel like that develops over time. Um, and so like, I, I get less nervous now and it comes with like the confidence and, and all that good stuff for sure. And then also like, uh, just, you have to just be like confident, but not cocky. If that makes sense. Like it's a good mix of both, you know, like trust in yourself that the hours you put in, is going to pay off. Like, you know, trust in yourself that like all the stuff you did will help, you know, I yeah. mean, it would make sense if you're nervous if you didn't really practice a lot or you didn't really play that much. That makes sense. But I feel like if you if you've been grinding, if you've been putting in the work, you've been putting in the effort, just just uh, just trust yourself that you would you know do well. Um, and and uh, and I think I think that will go a long way because I think a lot of people um, are insecure sometimes, and you know it's like a good mix. Like you have to be like a little bit confident, but not like over the top, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's I, I would say like that's the, the best balance. Yeah. So, uh, in your opinion, h- how do you decide? Well, not really opinion. It's more of a decision tree here thing here. Mm-hmm. Um, when to shotgun an effect like Lancia mm-hmm. or going to shotgun DPE to pop the side th- that that kind of thing. Like how how in your opinion how do you kind of go about that that kind of decision tree? Yeah, I think like it depends decks per deck like. Um, you know, if, yeah, you have to like read, like, for example, like whenever you play a card, like it, you know, I was actually just talking about this on stream. It's so funny. I was actually just saying like, damn, how do I get punished? Right. So like I was just playing against MBT and he's playing flunders and he activated right. part of prosperity. So he went shifter as his first action, which makes sense. 
and then he goes pot of prosperity for six i had I, my only hand shove is ash blossom so in the in the back of my head um i was thinking how do i get punished by not ashing this because against the flunder matchup it's typically correct to hold the ash blossom for uh eaglin um that's usually the best bet and it's so funny in my head i'm like the only way i get punished is if he rips the field spell and he already has eaglin in his hand because once you chain block the eaglin um ash doesn't work and you get the big bird anyways and if you ash the robina that comes after the eaglin uh he can just use his uh, regular normal summon to tribute over the two birds and he still ends on the full board and ironically enough i didn't ash it because you know i'm like i i was like i didn't want to take too long to think because you know i'm playing against mbt it's like a friendly it's like not that serious but it was in the back of my mind and i literally said this right afterwards and my chat was asking like what do you mean by how do you get punished and i, I was just about to explain it but that's basically my thought process like so in terms of like your question about lancia how do you know when to shotgun an effect how do you know when to like use cards it's i always think about like the pros and cons about like how do i get punished um like in what way this is this not correct right and yeah when you evaluate the pros and cons i feel like that's helps you make your decision the best so you know there's no clear-cut answer like um i think it'll be crazy to be like you know you always shotgun lancer you always do this because it, it the answer is it depends and it might not be the answer that people are looking for but i would say it like really depends like for example against pk right like i sometimes if lance is my only hand trap sometimes i play a little bit risky where i let them make two level threes to send Aquamancer yeah. and then I Lancia them. Um, and, you know, it it might not even be correct. Um, but sometimes you change your, your hand trapping method or you change your play style depending on the person you play against um, as well, right? Like sometimes maybe you make the read that have a good or a bad hand just off their composure, off the when they draw their first five cards. Like I actually, like um, I talked about this in one of my coaching sessions with one of my like students on Metify. He was like, how do you like make good reads? And... I explained that I actually study the way my opponent plays in, in game one um, and, and the way they, like, if they're overly aggressive or they're conservative in, in the way they play their hand out. Um, and, I, and I really, like, focus on that, you know? Like, I really pay attention, like, hey, are they playing, like, kind of aggressive? Or are they playing kind of ignorant? Or are they just playing the way they are because their hand doesn't warrant a way to play through interruption? And I, I use that knowledge and that information to better read them in the game twos and threes in terms of like how do i hand trap correctly etc um so i would say that like you know paying attention to your opponent the way they play is really important um and i would also say that like it really depends on the deck you're playing against the meta it's gamma in the main deck if you shotgun lancer etc so yeah that's that that would that's what i would say about that yeah yeah so something else that I think that a lot of people struggle with on a regular basis is crafting a sideboard going into the event. Mm -hmm. um, we did. We haven't talked about this, right? No, am I? Nope. Okay. Okay. No, okay. No, not yet. <laughs> Making sure we haven't already discussed this. Um, so when you're going into an event and you're building a deck, crafting sideboard, I'm kind of wondering when you're planning that sideboard, how do you pick the hand traps that you main versus you side, right? Because mm -hmm. I would say something like Lancia is a great, incredibly impactful card, but you'll never see somebody main it hard, basically ever, right? I mean, sometimes sure, but like 
it's very rarely main same thing with like droll right? right they're great super impactful cards but people just don't really main them for whatever reason or things like cosmics you know main versus side it just it's so dependent right so i'm just kind of wondering if there's any specific evaluations that you make to decide where you kind of place these yeah so i would say that um I would say the first thing when crafting a sideboard and like, you know, they decide like, for example, what hand traps to main side, etc. Um, when you go to like an event, like let's say we take the YCS for example, cause there's one coming up in Charlotte. So this might be more applicable um, as a response. But when you go to a YCS on average, when you go to a YCS, uh, you play like 50% like tier one decks, like decks that you would expect, right? And then you have yeah. like all these rogue decks and you'd be surprised that like you would think that at a YCS, the people that are showing up are all tier zero high level players. But there's a lot of players that just show up just because they want to play, you know, their, their, their pet deck. Right. Um, and you have to be ready for those rogue decks as well, um, because, you know, Hani will be the first to tell you that he was losing to Earth Machines because he didn't know what the cards did. And yeah, and, and that's going to happen. But I, I like know all these rogue decks because I'm one of those people that I find a lot of fascination just playing a lot, a lot of different decks. It was the same thing in Hearthstone for me. Like I had like 10 different decks built because I, I feel like I get really bored really fast. And when I pick up a deck and learn it really well, I'm like, I want to move on to the next one. Um, and I want to yeah. play another deck. I want to play another deck because that's what keeps this game interesting for me. The multitude of decks is what keeps this game interesting for me. If I had to play like salmon grates for a year I don't, I don't know if i would be playing at the time because i'll be like i would probably be switching every deck um like I, 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 just because like i just i just like find it more enjoyable to learn the different play styles and like how different deck functions like that for me is super interesting that that's for me is what makes you go really fun um and and so 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 there's that component and i would say like i would say I would say that when you show up to a YCS, the, the reason why a lot of people don't main deck Droll or Lancia is because uh, it doesn't cover the most generic matchups. Like, it, it doesn't have good coverage. And, and coverage of matchups when it comes to, like, non-engine slots are really important because certain cards are really good in certain matchups and certain cards are really bad into that mat uh, certain matchups. So you want to have a wide diversity. That's why Ash is, like, arguably one of the best hand traps ever made because every deck searches, every deck does some sort of like sending from deck to grave um and it's like almost always in everyone's main deck because it covers every matchup um you you would never be uh you would never go wrong having ash in your main deck you know certain sometimes it's not correct to main deck ash because of the format but at least in this format like ash just covers everything it almost you cover all your bases and when you go to a big tournament where you don't know what you're going to play against you might play against a sorso player but you could also just be playing against flunder right um yeah. and ash is a very good card in into that matchup um and i think that kind yeah. of almost falls back into like consistency versus power selling right because mm -hmm. sure in the in the matchups where it works something like lancia is incredibly impactful yep but when when you think about ash it's more consistently good against the field yes, exactly the other the other thing i would say about it is you mentioned that like you know droll and and lancia aren't always main deck but that doesn't mean it shouldn't be sometimes, right? Because it, it like I said, it, let's say on average, you would say like a YCS would be, you know, like I said, 50% like meta, 
like you know 50% rogue maybe it's maybe it's like like 70% meta to be honest like 30% rogue um or like tier 2 slash rogue decks and 30% um what if you make the meta call that like a lot of people will be on a certain type of deck like sword soul there's almost an argument to even main deck token collector so maybe you get rewarded for a main deck choice even though it's not good into other matchups but you're willing to take the l like the rogue decks game one but your thing is you're building your deck for top cut because you feel that top cut would have a high representative of sword soul right that also might go into like into your factor when you're building a deck um but these are like the decisions that you have to like make as you're building your deck um because you know it's like uh, i'll give you the example after the ycs i like i played in a goofy gauntlet this past weekend and the only things i changed were my were my hand traps my non-engine cards because i felt like I, the engines were already pretty established it was already really really good um i just changed my hand traps to fit um you know the meta the, the meta that i expected it to be and in the profile i explained it you know i, I talk about like why i main deck what the cards i did why i decided to change my side deck in terms of hand trap count around or like what hand traps i decided to sideboard specifically because i'm more scared of certain matchups that i think will be more popular or i'm more like convinced that more people will be on this and um but but that's like that's something that it's almost a guess like it's a guess right because at some point you don't you never really know but you want to make the most educated guess as possible and when you build that correctly you get super rewarded because you know everyone always talks about how like your side it comes in games twos and threes but in a format where um hand traps are very important um that game two and three is very very like crucial like i'm talking about like i build my deck to win game ones because i know that game twos when i go second i want to be able to just blow them out and just 2-0 to be honest yeah um and that's basically what happened at the YCS for me to be quite honest like i, I build my deck to win game one game two i had put in 20 hand traps and i just two all them and that's <laughs> that was my game plan like I, I knew that like um that was my strategy and i just like i just went with it um yeah. so like figure out your winning strategy right like figure out like what is your deck designed to do what is your goal in these matchups like what what are you hoping to accomplish right that's why i never understood why people sided like burn cards because are you expecting to go into time you could if you're playing a deck that like a lot of people would read or not really understand but like i never yeah. would side deck a burn card because if you play your deck normally at a normal speed and you scoop strategically you should almost never go into time um unless you build your deck or you your game plan is to win in time which at that point that's like a whole another conversation you know what i'm saying so yeah that's my that's my thoughts on that yeah yeah for sure um i know hanko chow is in the chat that's right i'm still reading chat uh and he <laughs> mentioned that it's kind of just uh like choosing hand traps sometimes it can almost be a little bit like gambling almost right yeah like you just kind of roll the dice and on what you're gonna see right but um but that's why you play the most generic hand traps because it's not right. gambling when they cover everything right like they because like um like imperm at yeah like imperm is like like imperm valor like nibru like uh you know like ogre everyone's playing brave engine so ogre covers like almost literally any deck that has uh brave in their deck um and it's just because you never want like uh dead cards uh pretty much um at the end of the day like you know you have to get a little bit lucky because like it's math right like you either like for me like it was 12 and 43 or 42 it's like 48 percent 47 46 percent it's either you draw 50 percent of the time game one or you don't but 
hey, I win the dice roll 50% of the time too, right? Or at least I hope right, to. Right. But it was more like 25%. Of the time. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. depends on the day. Yeah, but you know, it, it's like at the end of the day, you have to get a little bit lucky. But you know, like I said, what like I was saying this from the beginning of the podcast, like you have to put yourself in the best position, the best scenario to get the luckiest, right? Like, um, drawing two hand traps when I played 12 and 42 isn't sacky. It's like, I'm just, like, you know, I built my deck because I designed it. I wanted to do that. You know, that I wanted that to be the case. So, you know, like put yourself in the position to like do the best. Like, it, you know, when you play like six hand traps and, and you're like, damn man, Sag, I didn't draw a single one. You're like, well, you know, you, you didn't build your deck at, at the best you could, right? So, or you didn't build it as optimal for that event right because it changes event per event too like what's optimal deck wise for an event changes the next event with certain cards changes as well right so like uh one of the best example i did was like for the ycs i think i like beside i think i was actually i could be actually the only person crazy enough to not main deck or side deck a single back row removal um and it rewarded me greatly i didn't play a single back row deck um and yeah. My side deck was completely for every version of Brave slash combo deck possible out there. I didn't respect any back row decks, and I knew that my engine enough was good enough to beat the back row decks. It was like playing Danger Thunder into Salomon Grates. Like, I, like, you know, the Orthros, uh, Orthros with Thomas and, like, Dark Contracts um, were just, like, really, really good grind cards into any floodgates or any uh, LH setup. So, you know, it's like making those reads, like, making those... Because a lot of people just... Uh, when they build decks or when they do side decks and stuff like that, they use a lot of like preconceived notions of, you know, you should always have like six back row removal cards in the side, or you should always have like certain amounts of hand traps or all this stuff. And it's like, you know, um, think like you always have to question, does it actually make sense? Like, you know, is the norm actually correct? Right. Like, um, and I think when you start evaluating it more and more and you start thinking about it more and more, you're like, man, maybe it doesn't make sense to pay back row removal because of the brave and because of the uh, adventure aspect because of the adventure impact on the meta right less people are yeah, yeah. playing trap decks because of that and maybe someone can even anti like even meta meta game me and be like you know what i'm gonna play a trap decks because i know no one's siding it right and, and that's like the that's like the really really f interesting the really really cool part about Yu-Gi-Oh. it's like um you know making the right meta call um etc etc so I think that is like what makes the game also really fascinating and it makes it more multi-layered and more multifaceted than people would expect right because these are things that people see, like i feel like don't really think about as much but i feel like it's that that small piece of like things that you can do to get an advantage um or that that small piece of competitive advantage um you know whether that's from deck building perspective or technical play perspective uh, that really really i think pushes you from you know the average player to the top player and then the player that don't top to actually topping too. Okay. That's perfect. That's a great answer. Yeah. Um, I, I'm actually really enjoying kind of like the long form answers because yeah, it's tough uh, because like, it's not like, you know, cause I, I'm like doing these long answers because there's no like real, like one sentence, two sentences to encapsulate, you know, like the best way to answer it. It's tough. It's like, these are really, really yeah. good questions. They're really tough questions. And that just shows how complex the game is, right? Like, um, absolutely. I think oh, yeah. for all the players that are like entering the game through mastered and stuff like that, they're gonna quickly realize that like there's a lot of stuff that goes into what makes top players top players. Um, and 
and that's like and that's the journey that, that's the cool part about it like anyone i think i truly believe anyone can get really good if they really want to you know like i i felt like i got into like a certain level like i got i felt like i, I felt i felt i feel like i got good just because i really wanted it and i put in the hours and the time for it um and i was able to get into like testing circles and uh teams because i think people acknowledge that i was like man this guy's putting in the work like who is this dude right and basically they gave me a shot um and so for any i feel like for anyone who is aspiring to get better get into like and meet better players and all that good stuff is um you know you got to also prove yourself by yourself first before you can just have someone that can coach you or like help you um like or like a good test group right because yeah, yeah, I think that's, your that's what i did everything yeah because your test group is everything but the, the, i feel like the way to get into that is to um first do it by yourself and put yourself in the best position first right like you have to also show people that you can add value um so i think i went i went from someone who was like uh basically taking notes to helping providing notes basically i don't even know the best way to say yeah. it but and, and and the thing is i still and, and that's not to say that like um oh i'm like you know basically teaching all these people now but it's like i also i'm still a student of the game like i'm still learning um and i think that's yeah. what i feel like will serve me and a lot of players who are looking to get better in the long run is that like you know don't like get don't get too like cocky or don't get like too confident like you know always try to learn always try to get better um and like you just be humble because that that will like that will actually make you better you know like being like yo like i'm insane all this whatever you know like i might you might joke with that with friends saying like oh man i'm insane yeah i'm playing out of my mind I and mean, i always <laughs> say that but like in, in reality it's like you know it's like you know just be humble like learn like learn as much as you can just get better all that good stuff like that will serve you like miles like leagues ahead yeah um there's a fine line between quiet confidence and arrogance yeah exactly yep exactly so so um i'm not taking up too much of your time am i, I got one or two more no, questions? yeah, yeah sure, yeah sure of course we had a couple okay. more questions Let's do it. um while we're here uh if you are in chat and you have questions now is the time uh so Let's go ahead and get some questions from the chat. And after I ask this next one, we'll, you know, go to the chat. Um, so I know that you haven't been playing the game actually for the longest time, right? It's yeah. kind of crazy to see your progression and your growth from a newer player to literally probably one of the top five players in the game right now. At that's least, that's, that's right? too kind. I don't think I'm the top five, but I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. <laughs> and I actually, okay, I mean on. it. I feel like, uh, I feel like I have a... I feel like I have a long way to go before I get really, really crazy. But I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm working there. So, but I appreciate that. Yeah. It means a lot. So, I think it's kind of like you just said. You know, you're really a student of the game. You study all of these things for not just the meta, right? You don't just study these things that are relevant right now. You also go back and you study past formats. Yes. I love it. I love past formats. Exactly. I love. I know that you know the announcement for Time Wizard format. I know that you've been really big on the 2011 Plant Synchro format, 2014 Nationals, Edison, whatever. So it makes me wonder what is it that draws you into all these past formats? What is it about them that fascinates you? And how do you think that playing these past formats can benefit players that are really wanting to learn not just the history of the game, but also get better at the game right now? 
I um I find it so funny that like uh like even when I play GOAT, right? Like uh which you know, I, I think GOAT is like so funny because sometimes it's like it's so sacky, but there's a lot of like really cool outplay and a lot of really cool um mind games you can do in, in these like retro formats because there's a lot more turns. Um and and you have to like pay attention to cards, you have to keep track of like um, you know, in what order that people play their cards in and which like why did this card guy set this turn two but not turn one right um those types of like reads of critical thinking um from retro formats are are great brain exercises there that's why this past weekend i was in connecticut um and or whenever Hani and i travel together we always play retro together because it's such a it's such a good brain exercise like you're constantly trying to make the right reads like um you know and and when you make those reads correctly bro like it like your opponent feels like shit like they're just like they just felt like you know it, it's just really really op and and that same type of like reads critical thinking will apply to uh modern or like current tcg as well like you know like understanding how your opponent plays and what order they play their cards in it's a little bit different because the game's a lot faster now but like you know you're able to like um pick apart their hand pick apart like what cards they can have set in what order they play them um you know like for example right like um i, was, I remember i was playing against a guy who was playing sword soul and i activated a i activated a card um in one of the imprint columns he had two sets. I had to fit one of the imprint columns. And uh, the guy the guy said thinking, right? So I had no monsters. So the guy couldn't chain imprint even if he wanted to. But that made me think a little bit. I'm like, wait, is there an imprint back there? Because um, I just wanted to see how he would respond. Because a lot of people are just getting really excited when they're like, damn, I could imprint this guy's column and screw him, right? So I was yeah. like, I, just, I did it just intentionally just to like see how he would react. And then um, when he picked it up and looked at it, I'm like, okay, I think that's actually, I'm like, I think that actually might be imperm. I'm going to Vishuda bounce the other back row, which I think is blackout because that's like a, that's a hard card to play through. And yeah. don't get me wrong. Like I could be completely wrong in the reads. Like, you know what I'm saying? I could be completely wrong. Um, but I was studying how this guy was playing game one. So I was like, you know, like the way he sets his card, I was actually paying attention because the guy actually set his impermanent blackout in the same column that happened in game one. <laughs> and I was actually, I'm like, yo, there's no way he does it again, right? And and he did. He set it in the exact same order too. And when I saw that, I'm like, oh, shoot. I'm pretty confident there's a blackout in the other, in, like, in the other column. And, and so when I shooted, bounced the blackout, that was actually the winning position for me because when I was analyzing my hand, I just could not... I, I couldn't beat it. I couldn't beat the blackout. It was just the most... It was a card that was the most absurd on his end board. And so... Um, but because of that, I was able to... I was able to... I was able to 2 him. Or sorry. Yeah, I was able to 2 him because of that. Um, because he went first game one and then game two went first to the end. And I, I thought that was so interesting. But, you know... Th these are like the type of things that like I feel like... Um, I thought like... I feel like really helps you win games that you shouldn't because you're like yeah it turns less of the it turn it also makes like it's less variance too if that makes sense um of course. 
and that's why i like retro formats because retro formats like when i was when i was playing 2014 nationals right like you have to make the like sometimes you can't just pop a random back row because uh hat was a very popular deck uh there's like artifact there's moral talk in, in the back row potentially right so you have to decide and read you know which back row is the artifact and which back row is actually real um and like as you play your turn as you play your hands out you know uh the, the thing that i always tell a lot of people that uh were that coached with me on metify i was like you know every card prompts a certain interaction and as you play your cards your goal should be especially in like the slow formats to understand a little bit more about what they have in the back row a little bit more about what they could have in the hand what they could have set right that should be your goal like you should play cards with purpose um to pick apart and, and make the right reads right um like honey i remember when he and i were playing goat like he was saying like damn i really wish i didn't say thinking on that effect because i just gave away what the back row was um and i mean you, he could also be metagaming me but you know sometimes like these things are uh, instinctual it's almost habit sometimes you can't control it right so it's like it's what people like you know consider tells so you have to sometimes also train yourself to not like uh fall into your tells for like reads and stuff like that as well right so um and that's why like i love retro formats i think like the the component of like critical thinking and uh the longer turns like the the more back and forth where like i feel like the reads were actually like those type of things are like crazy for me like i, I love that i love that about retro and um i really enjoy it so, like don't get me wrong there there are some like degenerate like um there's some like degenerate formats in retro right for sure but i think like edison yeah. 2011 like uh like nationals 14 like go like those are really there one that you yeah think is the best one to play i don't i don't think there's the best one i think all these formats teach you something differently and they all like warrants different play styles um right you know like how you play a mermel deck versus how you play a sylvan deck in 2014 is very different um yeah um like how you play a warrior deck versus how you play a chaos control deck in goat is very very different but that's why i like playing all these different types of decks within those formats too like i don't just stick to just a, like you know like for example in edison i have a i have a zombie deck a diva zombie deck but i also have a hero beat deck with like yeah. 25 traps because the way you you know the way you like play those decks are very different they require very different skill set very different type of critical thinking and they train different parts of the brain so i like playing them because they, they offer like different insights and all you know i'm talking about all this stuff that you can get benefit out of obviously like and it seems like it's a lot and it seems like really hectic and it seems like it's a pain but it's also super fun right like like um like i'm saying all this and it seems like a chore it seems like you know it seems like a hassle to like try to get better because there's so much you have to consider think about but the way i approach competitive Yu-Gi-Oh and like the way i approach getting better at the game is that it's it's not a chore it's actually for me mind-blowing it's fun it's interesting right like when i watch good players play i like i'm just like bro i'm just like damn he played and he played nice like it, it's like it's a sigh of relief almost because uh, when you watch yeah. like feature matches sometimes like people don't play the best and you're just like damn like you know how how did that even happen and yeah like how did he even make it that far like you know like no disrespect but it's like you know you made it all the way to like a certain you know top cut or something and all of a sudden 
you're playing really bad, right? And yeah. then, but then, but then there's gonna be those feature matches where you watch and you're like, you're like taking notes on how he plays. You're like, wow, he played really insane. He played his hand out perfect into all the back row. And you're or like, he played, like he sequenced in a way that was just like beautiful because it covered all his bases. And you're just like, this is like literally almost like a work of art. You're like, I'm sitting there yeah. watching like freaking Van Gogh like paint right now. You know what I'm saying? Like this guy is going in. And, and like, I hope to like, you know, do that or emulate that and that's why I watch those people play at those level, right? And even the bad feature matches are also learning experience because you learn what not to do, right? Like, so it's like a really good mix of both where like, regardless of which ones you watch, like you're both gonna take away something from it. Um, and don't get me wrong, like even the best players make mistakes, right? Um, but I think like there's, I think, uh, I think um, there's also a lot of like, there's a lot of replays where good players make mistakes and you understand from that because it might seem a mistake in hindsight, but at that moment in time, off of no cards known, it they for some reason must have thought it was correct in some way, right? So trying to understand yeah. why they thought that that bad that you know the bad play that we see you know hindsight twenty twenty was actually like in their heads they probably thought it was the right play. That's why they make the play, right? No one would ever consciously make a bad play, um, at least I hope not, and. And so it's even more interesting is when you try to understand, like, you know, why did he make that play even though it, like, really lost to this? What, like, what was he reading, you know? Or was it just an oopsie, right? Sometimes it happens too. And so, like, um, like when I watch these retro Fuchi matches, I actually watch them sometimes multiple times because they're so enjoyable. Um, but also because, like, if I drew the hand that he did, how would I start off the sequence? And then I would hit play. Yeah. And then the and you know and someone would go like okay they would play this card first and I would be I would hit pause and I would think I'm like wait why did he play that card first instead of this card because that's what I would do but the guy I'm watching isn't doing it that way he's doing it another way you know and and um and that like really helped me you know ironically enough get into the minds of how these players functions and what their thought processes are and I try to emulate some of their thought process um, in the way I play Yu-Gi-Oh too. Um, and, and I think that really, really pushes you to the next level because it makes you more critical and it makes you think more when you make plays, right? Like there's a lot of times where people would be shuffling, looking at their hand, like hand shuffling, looking at their hand. And I, I could just tell nothing's going through their heads. Like I could just tell like, the guy's <laughs> just like shuffling, <laughs> but there's a lot of times, oh, where, shuffle, let's yeah. go. but there's a lot of times where, um, there's a lot of times where, some people actually like when they're looking at their hand, you could tell, bro, they're about to like they're about to like f you up. <laughs> yeah, they're about to screw you, like bro. Like uh, I'll give you an example. When you watch Jeff Jones play, right? Like uh, the way I see his playing style is he will look at his hand, evaluate all his options and the way his opponent would respond, and he would take a little bit more time than normal to like look at this, right? He'll look at it, look look at any feature matches with Jeff Jones. He he does this. Look at his hand. He thinks two minutes. Three minutes has gone by. Once he calculates it, he plays really fast. It's almost instantaneous. Like he already could, because he's making all these like decisions in his head, like you know, really, really already fast. Already gone through the entire Ar decision tree exactly. before he played a card. Exactly. And and like you know, these are the things I pay attention to, right? Um, yeah. So Not studying just the cards but, and how they're playing the cards, but, but also studying the, player, the players. Yes, themselves. because like you know, there's a reason why certain top players are at the top. Like it's not just like coincidence, right? Um, yeah. and so, 
I like I, I pay attention to like how like the better players play because there's something interesting to like learn from them. Um, and and I try to emulate all of their styles in, in the way I currently play Yu-Gi-Oh now. Um, I think it was so funny because uh, Billy, I think when he was commentating my YCS feature match, he was like, uh, "Dang, Pack was shuffling his hand as if he was about to set his entire hand, and it only set one." That's what I would do. <laughs> and it's so funny because I watched the feature match in which Billy literally did that. So I did, you know what I mean? I subconsciously <laughs> emulated that. And it was so funny hearing him commentate that in the YCS coverage because, you know, like I, I'm like subconsciously like doing these like plays that people are, are, are doing, you know? So I don't know. It's like there, I could go on for this forever. Um, there's, there's a whole like subset. There's a lot to learn from there's these retro formats. Yeah, there's a lot to learn. Um, so I, I'm a huge advocate of of retro, of learning, of playing them. And then also just like, you know, it's I started in 2019. Like for me, this is like, it's like, it's fascinating. Like I never got to live through these formats. I never got to play with Honest in, in my main deck. I never got to play with like freaking, you know, Treeborn Frog. Um, and be able to relive a little bit of piece of history is like cool um, because I watch all these retro profiles. Now, uh, be able to play them is a whole another kind of whole another component. So, yeah, I, uh, yeah. I, I have a lot of like I have a lot of appreciation for it. I think that the thing that is lost on a lot of newer players that sometimes people just don't really consider. You know, maybe if they get into Yu-Gi-Oh in 2019, 2020, whatever, they see all this stuff that they can do. And they just start doing things, mm -hmm. you know? Right. And I think that's something really critical that some of these retro formats really emphasize is the conservation of resources, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that it's so critical to look at a hand of total gas and maybe play into it a little bit more conservatively, mm -hmm. understanding that your opponent has hand traps, things like that. You know, save some follow-up and save, you know, make sure that Sure, you can end on four synchros, but maybe you end on two or three with yep. loads of follow-up in your hand if it's a board that kills anyway, right? Yeah, I, I have, like, it's so funny you mention that because I, like, like, I have examples of this. Like, if you watch my top eight feature match against Amit um, for YCS Vegas, I, yeah. uh, he made DP against my board and I drew for turn. Like, and I see, like, not a lot of people doing this where I could have played, like, to be honest. I could have played... And actually, like, I could bait the DP and actually try to play. But in my head, I was like, I could try to play now. But if this play doesn't resolve, the DPE gets the plus one off of me. Because it trades with a card in my hand. And I know he's playing striker, so he can't really kill me unless you're, like, rips Ray off the top. You know? So, it's better to just pass here and get the extra draw. And then try to make my big push next turn. Right? Um, yeah. And... And I did that. I literally did that. And the thing is, I don't like a lot of people like don't know when to like you know just pass. Sometimes the best play is just just pass and draw an extra card, right? Um, and that's what a lot of retro is actually. If you notice in, in retro, there's gonna be a lot of opportunities where you could play, but you're like, damn, if I had normal summon this and this gets to, like you know bottomless or something, I have no, I can't play the game. Um, let's let me just wait until an extra back row and go. Uh, this happens too, like where I wait until I have judgment uh, and draw into it and then set the judgment and then try to make the big push, 
and my opponent might make the yeah. read i have judgment now you know and they'll get a little bit they have to be a little bit more aggro now but like these are like you know the type of self that you kind of have to think about of course my opponent rips ray and kills me but I, in my head i wasn't mad because it was still the correct line in my head because i don't think i was supposed to play that turn i was supposed to wait and get an extra draw and make one big push because it one that one big push would be otk that turn like i, I would win that right. same turn so um so that that's like basically you know like i like that's an example of where like you know something that a lot of players would do in retro is applicable even to today's standards right like you know understanding to maybe passing against a control deck is the right play right like against elich for example like i would i would do the same thing sometimes sometimes i would just draw my six card going second i can't play pass you know like and the thing is they can't really kill you they they might like do a lot and get close and it, you know it's a lot easier harder with like brave engine stuff now but um but like you know waiting for an extra card like actually helps a lot um right right so yeah i got one last question yeah and then we'll answer the questions from the chat so mm -hmm. when you go back and watch these retro um whether it be the dual videos deck profiles or whatever do you have a particular player that you go back and look at in these retro formats and and like is there a player that you think is not necessarily the greatest player of all time but maybe the most critical thinking or the most cerebral player of all time something along those lines mm, um i mean for me it's actually funny i actually watch uh like i think the person i watch i feel like has really good technical play is definitely it's definitely Jesse. That, that that person that I watched for like really good technical play. Like a lot of his future matches, I've pretty much seen all of them. Um, he has really good technical play. Like he like makes really good. I feel like he has decision trees, and his logic for like sequencing his hand in certain ways like really really good. Um, but in terms of like a player who's like less known, um, I can't really think of any because quite frankly. A lot of the feature matches that you see from the past are all like known players. That's the one that ARG usually streams. But I've like watched all of them and it doesn't for me it doesn't really matter who's playing. Quite frankly, like I always try to evaluate like the way they play their hand. I always try to evaluate the way they play into boards and stuff like that. Um, you know, uh, just because like they all like play very every every person plays very differently. Um, so you know, there isn't really anyone that comes to mind that is like less known. But I say like the for for like the from the known players, I would say like Jesse's probably the person I would watch the most from like a yeah. pure technical player perspective because I feel like he makes like he plays with like a lot of like reasoning and logic. Like there's I feel like conviction and like logic that goes behind like every card he plays rather than yeah. kind of like boonga boonga. I'm just gonna play it like X card for my hand. Like there's actually yeah. like thought process that goes behind it and it makes sense, right? Like. And when, whenever I try to, like, you know, obviously I don't understand his thought process, like, 100%. But when I see the way he sequences his hand and I think about the order and I think about, like, does this make sense for this card to be first? I'm like, damn, it actually does, right? Because of, like, all this, this, and this. Yeah. So I think those are, like, interesting for me. Like, I, I like those type of, like, games um, where, yeah. you know, I'm like, damn, like, it actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. All right, we're gonna power through some questions from the chat. Sure. You can just give kind of real, real quick, like two word answers, and we'll just uh, wrap it up because I don't want to hold you too much longer. Um, what do you value more, holding a lesser known, playing a lesser known deck 
for playing a less known deck for the knowledge advantage or playing a deck considered tier one or best of the format? Um, wait, so say that again, like a better playing a less known deck or a tier one deck, you said, right? Yeah, yeah. So something like playing DDD versus maybe playing the pile deck, right? Mm, um, for me, it's like, you know, like I, I would, I would, for me, I would just play the the deck that I think is the best. It could just be the, the deck that everyone thinks is tier one or that is tier one or solidified as tier one. Um, or it could just be like a deck like DDs, for example, which I think is the best deck from a meta call perspective it might not be the quote-unquote best deck it might be the best meta call if that makes sense um but I, I i typically try to pick the deck that is the best meta call not the best deck because usually yeah. the best deck is not the best meta call like yeah freaks from and and when we talk about best deck we talk about like um the way the way that Yu-Gi-Oh players talk about the best deck is usually the decks with the highest ceiling the deck that does the most um, but for me, it's like, you know, like for Dytron, for example, right? Uh, at the at the first YCS remote, it was like Dytron was definitely absurd. Like, you know, there's there's no yeah. doubt from, a, from, from anyone's mind that if that deck goes first, you're probably scrambling. Um, there's also like Tri-Brigade, right? Like it was a quote-unquote one of the best decks because it uh, was very consistent. It was very powerful, right? Um, yeah. And I just went with Prank Kids because... I think it was the best deck because it can play the most non-engine and have one of the best grind games while also playing, you know, like it's a deck that no one expected. Some people didn't even ash the first kid sometimes, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, it, like when I was playing that deck at that YCS, there was not a lot of people who was actually even on print kids. Um, and that's kind of like, if you look at my like track history or track record, I typically try to do that when I go to events. I try to play the deck that isn't the best, but the best medical. And I think all of my like tournament results have all been decks that were quote unquote the best meta call, not the best deck. But in turn, gotcha. they turn out to be the best deck because they're the best meta call, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, so, is there a deck that is less meta that you have a lot of fun with playing in a more casual setting like locals? Um, right now, like I'm looking into Despias because you know I think without like keeping it 100 without the new structure deck cards yet and the new Albas Fusion. Or Despia Fusion. Um, yeah. The deck is pretty weak right now, but I just like that it's a very interactive deck. Like, it, I don't really... Bro, I end on Masquerade that burns you for 600 pass. Like, it's not really that crazy. And with better hands, I end on Chimera as well that pops cards, right? Like, I really enjoy those type of, like, very interactive decks. Like, I love, like, for example, playing BA. Now, there was a format where, like, full power try was happening, and I was playing BA. Um, yeah. Or, like... Uh, and, I, and like those are like the type of decks that I really really like. Um, there was like, like uh, just to go back on the idea of like you know playing medicals, there was an event for a giant card where I played pure trap lich, like trap lich, just complete infinite trap cards and Lich. And the meta at that oh, time <laughs> was a dragon link ending on the Buster Lock, right? That was the meta. Um, and I like you know a lot of. I, when I played that deck, I was like, you know, Dragon Link is the best deck, but I think I'm playing the deck that is the best meta call because that Dragon Link mirror was like atrocious, you know? It, you got to think about it. You got to keep it in the back of your head, too. If you're playing the deck that quote unquote is the best deck, everyone else probably thinks that, too. Everyone else probably thinks Dragon Link's the best deck, or everyone else probably thinks like X deck is the best, right? So 
now you have to now you have to consider um, a couple things. First of all, how does this deck fare in the mirror? If the mirror is like hella toxic, where you roll the dice for game one, then man, I don't know if I want to play that deck to be honest. <laughs> um, right. And um, and my the Elish deck that I played was a deck that didn't matter if I lost the dice roll because I just set five. And when they were using Buster, when they were trying to do the Buster lock, they committed a lot of resources to do that. And quite frankly, it doesn't do anything to my deck, right? So, yeah. Um, and that's where like the idea of like a broken line came in because like when you lose the roll, you set it in front of a savage. It wasn't a card designed to go first, but when you go first with it, you mind game like the column. Um, and yeah. and when you go when you go second with it, you set in front of the card like savage and you win. Same thing with Witch's Strike, right? Like. Um, it was a card that, like, I knew that if I was going second, they had Savage up. And they negated any of my Torrentials. I just activate this, which is basically another Torrential, but even better. Um, but they have to negate it, right? So, you know. Yeah. Like, these, like, that's why, like, it's all about, you know, just making the right meta calls. I feel like would usually be more likely for you to win the event rather than just do yep. okay at it. All right. I got one last question that I'm going to sure. ask. is the most important one of the night. Sure. How often do you change them sleeves, dude? Bro. Every locals. <laughs> every event. Um, every locals or every event? Oh, come on. It's got to be every night with yeah, how much you're playing. And like, playing. I, I play so much, so like I do go through sleeves like, you know, like candy. Um, Man's buying them by the case. Yeah, so it, it's definitely, it's bad. Like, I think PCs, they don't make <laughs> PCs anymore. That's like my favorite sleeve. The original PCs. Like, they just, yeah, yeah. there's just no shuffle that compares to that. Like, and the feel, the shuffle is just like crazy. Like I, it's not one of those things that it's just hyped. It's like actually crazy. Those sleeves are like insane. Um, yeah, I'll and... send you my address after, and you can send me. Some. I'll test them out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, like I, I, I'm like, damn, dude. Like at some point, I think I'm gonna have to like start buying dragon shields, because I'm, I'm burning through these PCs. I have like two cases, um, which is like sixty packs, but you know they, they disappear. And with IROYC has just announced, I don't think I'm gonna be using PCs ever until until that ycs um yeah just you know fair. just 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 from a discipline perspective right like i'm just gonna use dragon shows in the meantime when that ycs comes out man i'm pulling the fresh pack of pcs out and my goodness so <laughs> my goodness <laughs> yeah man just just buy some stock and like dragon shield yeah, yeah. true you know, the no. real question is do you not play the 60 card decks that way you only have to open one pack of those sleeves hey, that's exactly <laughs> it that's exactly. It. I'm not. There's no way I waste two OGPCs on a 60 card deck, bro. Okay. <laughs> hey, that's like that's like that's like sixty dollars just to sleeve. <laughs> just a sleeve yeah. deck. So you know. True. No All right. So we always end every episode with a podcast question of the day. Sure. And we'll answer the last one, which is: Are there any changes on the OCG Forbidden Limited mm. Forbidden Limited list? Yeah, I get talking too fast. That you would like to see put into place here in the TCG. A lot of people said they would like to see Verte banned. We had some people saying Fractal to two. Give me back the wind-up ship is something that we got a lot. Um, and limiting down the Brave stuff was also something pretty popular. Is there any one particular thing off the top of your head that you would like to see that they did over there? Um, Yeah, like they should just ban the Brave engine. Um, it makes no sense to have those cards as one ofs. Like one Enchantress, one Rights. It's just so weird. Like I... I never understood that. Um, I think all the stuff that's like toxic should just be banned, um, right? So, because um, I think like Pretty what fair. OCG, like the way their balance work is they kind of like mitigate the damage, but they don't really solve the issue. Like, you know, I remember when they put VFD to 
to one or did they put a VFD to two? I, for, I forgot. I think they put VFD to two in one of the formats or maybe one. I forgot. And I was just like, what did this accomplish? I, I'm still seeing people VFDing each other. And like, it didn't change anything. Yeah. Like, like VF, I, even VFD to one was like disgusting. Um, so for me, like, the, I mean, I don't play in the OCG. So like the way they do their ban list doesn't really affect me, to be honest. But if I was playing in the OCG, like, you know, all these toxic cards, all these like whatever, you know, they should just be banned. There's no reason to have like a one of it. Just makes it too sacky. It's right. Like I also think um, cards like call by and cross out, ironically enough, should be banned too, just because uh, I think combo decks or decks that have access to stop hand traps are really cancer because the design of hand traps is to you know keep combo decks in check. But if combo decks have access to cards like call by and cross out, it doesn't actually make sense. Like, what's the point yeah. of making hand traps are? Like, so I think those cards like shouldn't be like I think OCG has cross out at two or one, and call by at one or two. I don't remember the exact, but I think they should just be banned. I mean, this could be like I guess a hot take, but it's just that like I, I just think that combo decks are supposed to be kept in check by hand traps, but they aren't kept in check because they have these like call by or cross outs that just you know make it so they do their combo anyways and if you watch any yeah. ocg replay when they do their full combo you never win like it's impossible they just the other guy i mean for content just tries to play it out he goes like normal summon snow pass and then dies next turn like you know what i'm saying like it's yeah. not it's not like it's like some it's like insane copium if you think that you can break the board because you gotta understand these ocg combos are crazy like people have access to god knows what you know what i'm saying everything so if they resolve their loop you can pack up your cards and, and cross on yeah. call by or like toxic at making that happen. That's why like I think having Maxi at three in the OCG, but call by and cross out ban would actually be feel like somewhat healthier for the game. But who knows, man? I, I can be completely wrong on that. I just I just think that the design of hand traps to stop hand, like combo decks don't actually work when cards like cross out and call by are in, yeah. in the format. So. And today's podcast question of the day, this will be the one that goes up Friday when we launch the episode, is how do you feel about the 45-minute rounds at the YCSs? I personally am a big fan of a couple extra minutes. Um, I think that the new time rules mitigate a lot of the rounds lasting an insanely long time. Not everybody likes the new time rules, which I get, but I think that these 45-minute rounds is a really nice balance. I think it's a good balance, and I think that people the only advice that i would have for people playing with the new 45 minute rule is don't let that make you think that you actually have a lot more time because yeah like scooping strategically still matters uh you know knowing when to uh like pack up your cards is really important like there will be so many times where i would lose in time and i would never get too mad at my opponent because i always think about it i'm like damn I should have scooped faster. There was a, there was a, at the Goofy Gauntlet this past weekend. Um, I almost lost in time because when I looked up at the clock and I'm playing the, the the 30 minute game one out, I'm like, dude, what the heck? I I need to scoop right now, and that's what I did. Like I'm like, bro, I we have I ha I have to scoop. I I saw that I saw the timer too late, and to be quite honest, I thought I was gonna lose in time, and I was I I was ready to take the the L for that and and, and be the one to blame because I should have scooped earlier. Like, you know what I'm saying? And the only reason I didn't was I think it could be winnable. 
but the odds of me trying to win this isn't that high but it could be winnable but it's not that high you know what i'm saying so these, these are still factors that you have still you still have to take into consideration like don't don't take the five minutes for granted because it, it goes by pretty fast or pretty slow depending who you play against <laughs> um so we'll see yeah yeah well that's gonna wrap it up for us thank you so much for coming on and i mean we took way more of your time than we planned i'm really no sorry about that oh no of course anytime i'm happy to do this yeah yeah um so just closing be sure to check out our sponsor be sure to check out our play metal and imperium be sure to check out all of our links they'll all be down in the description our episodes go up every tuesday and every friday at 8 a.m yep 8 a.m well central time every tuesday and friday yeah. so Thank you all so, so, so much for listening and have a great weekend, everyone. Take care, everybody. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.